amen, amen. You can be seated. take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 5, Nehemiah the fifth chapter. If you are a regular attender or maybe a member of Aloma Church, you're looking at the stage and saying, there's something different about the stage. What is going on here? Well, what is going on is that we are in preparation for a couple of big events. Number one, tomorrow starts our Renovate Conference where we are going to have between 1,500 and 1,800 pastors literally from around the world. And so they're coming in and we're going to be worshiping Jesus here so you can see a little bit of the stage design, the striking of the stage and moving the drums over. Uh, this isn't a place to roast uh, barbecue. This is actually a drum shield. And so it, it, it's a, a, a fantastic way to be able to worship the Lord with, with real drums. And, and so it's just amazing. To, I love the different styles of, of worship and being able to do that. And uh, so we have that coming up. And then we also have Christmas coming up. And so we, we pull some of the foliage down behind me and we're going to be setting up some Christmas things uh, coming up very soon. I promise you that we will not have Christmas lights until Christmas. I know Home Depot and Lowe's and Target, they do Christmas before even Halloween, but there's just something wrong with that. But we are in preparation for all of these things. So uh, thank you for bearing with us. And, and we're so excited about what God is doing here at Aloma Church. We've been asking these days, what can I do? How is it that I can plug into the ministries of, of this church and the, the life of others? How can I experience revival in my own life? And we come to Nehemiah chapter five, and I'll be honest with you, Nehemiah chapter five, is a very hard chapter to understand. When you come to this chapter, you're, you're looking and saying, okay, God, what can I get out of this? What is it that you're, you're teaching us? What is it that, that, that you're trying to, to uh, convey to the church body? What is it that you're speaking to my heart and my, my family's heart? And here's what I discovered, that Nehemiah chapter five is actually talking about how to be financially free how to be financially free. And we come to Nehemiah chapter five and there was a cusp, there was a time, you know, there were a lot of enemies coming against Nehemiah. We've talked about those in Nehemiah three, Nehemiah four, and all these enemies from outside were coming in and attacking the Jews, attacking Nehemiah, trying to prevent them from building the wall. But there was an enemy from within that almost, almost destroyed what God was doing and what God wanted to do. And this same enemy that almost thwarted God's plan back then is the same enemy that tries to do the same thing here today, even in the church of Jesus Christ. And it's by getting people in financial bondage to get people focusing in on the wrong thing when it comes to money. So today we wanna talk about money. You know that you can't come to a Baptist church without having food and the preacher talking about money, right? It's just not a Baptist thing until that happens. But as you say, well, how are we going to be financially free if you never even pass the offering place today. Anybody notice that? Now we will be doing that at the end of the service because it's just 
a part of worship. So we're, we'll get there. I promise you, we will pass the plates. The same problem that Nehemiah had is the same problem, potential problem, that could be here at the church of Jesus Christ. You know, as God is blessing the work of Nehemiah, God has blessed the Loma Church. We are being blessed. I don't know if you're seeing what God is doing here. I think that a lot of us do, but I want to share with you, and this is not patting myself on the back, has nothing to do with me, has everything to do with God. But what God is doing here at this church is simply amazing. This past Sunday, we had 200 more people in worship this past Sunday than we did the Sunday a year earlier. God is bringing people to our church. In our life groups, in, in, the, in the age group, the, the young marrieds, I, I know that everybody thinks that they're young marrieds, but the way we define young marrieds here at our church, between 20s and, and 40s, uh, 60s, 60s, the new 20. Thank you, brother. <laughs> life groups, I love it too, and I love you, but that's not young married, I'm sorry. You may be newly married, but okay, you're getting me off. <laughs> Young marrieds, 20s to 40s, 40s, all right. But in this one year, from a year ago until this past Sunday, we've seen the Lord over double the number of young marrieds. And this is the group of people that people say, you can't reach the young generation. You can't reach the young marriages. The young marriages are lost. They're gone. Forget about them. Only focus on other people. But the Lord has, we've seen, we've seen this ministry double. Since August, since August of this year, we have seen 30 more children in our children's ministry since August of this year. We open our eyes and we look and see what God is doing here at this church. It's simply amazing. It's, it's awesome. It's exciting. And beyond the numbers, we're seeing people give their life to the Lord. We, 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 we had over 1,000 people here uh, yesterday at our trunk retreat. We're, we're seeing people give their life to the Lord. I, I led a young man, an 18-year-old boy, to the Lord this past Sunday at the venue. Sat down with him one-on-one, and, and he, 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 it's just awesome. If you've never led someone to the Lord, you need to try it at least once. Because when you try it and it happens just that once, it gets in your bones and, and something happens, something changes you. And, and I was sitting here and I've seen this thousands of times. The Lord has allowed me to see thousands of people say, and I'm sitting here watching this young man and the same thing happened again. I opened the word, John three sixteen, Romans three twenty three, and something happened to him. Conviction fell on him, began to weep. I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to ask Jesus into my heart. I said, why don't you wait till tomorrow? He said, preacher, I can't wait till tomorrow. I want to do it now. Led him to the Lord. And this is just one story of, of numerous stories of what God is doing right here at Aloma Church. And, and I want all of us to get in on what God is doing. Lots and lots of positive things happening here at Aloma. We give all the glory to God. But as we continue to grow and we walk forward into the future by faith, we understand that our growth and our future in God's hands and God's hands alone, God is the only one who can truly grow a church. Now we can do the latest fad, we can open and we can buy the latest book and we can can try to implement man's plan and we can draw a crowd, but we're not looking to draw a crowd, we're wanting to build the church. And so as we walk by faith, as we walk by faith, not by sight, we, we're trusting that God will use 
us. You see, God uses us to build his church. God doesn't need your money and God doesn't need your service. But in God's economy, in God's plan, he chooses to use us. He chooses to use us, our time, our resources, and how he blesses us is when we bless others. Do you see that? Over and over in scripture, the way God blesses his people is when his people begin to bless others. And when his people begin to serve him and to bless others, he then turns the blessing upon his people. You see, God doesn't need us. God is God. He can do whatever, whenever. But he chooses, get your mind around this, he chooses to use his greatest creation, you and me, And we get to be a part of what God is doing. We get to be a part of the greatest organization that this world has ever seen. And no, that is not the federal government. It's the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And we get to be a part. We get to see lives changed. We get to see people cross from death to life. We get to see God pour out his blessings and divorces that, that look like these marriages are headed to divorce, but yet God reconciles and brings them. There's nothing like it. And if you're sitting out on the fence, you're missing out on what God is doing. It just so happens Nehemiah was calling the people to the work of the Lord as a similar way of what we're doing here at Aloma. We're taking the principles of Nehemiah and we're applying this to our own instances. And they hit a bump in the road in Nehemiah 5. It was not an enemy from without, but it was an enemy from within. It was a financial problem. And here in Nehemiah chapter 5, we find the tools to, to, to have financial freedom. You say, well, pastor, I know how to have financial freedom in my own life. All I need to do is win the lottery. Well, not so. The answer to your financial bondage is not more money. How many stories have we heard over and over and over again of people who, who gain all of this wealth and then just a few short years later, they've lost it all. You see, I, I want to speak to you. Not, I, I'm not a financial planner. I'm not going to be able to tell you how to invest your money. I, I, I can't, I'm, not, I'm not talking about economics here, okay? When I'm dealing with finances, and I know that some of you are like, okay, every time I come to church, I hear about money. But listen, God's word is full. It, it talks about money over and over and over. Over 2,000 scriptures in God's word deal with money. So you can't get away from it. It's, it's right here. And in Nehemiah 5... I believe that he gives us the principles that if you're facing financial bondage and it's a spiritual problem, and I believe that a lot of financial bondage that we face are spiritual issues, and I'll show you why in just a moment. But if you have a spiritual problem, how do you, how do you fix a spiritual problem? With a spiritual answer. And so I believe that we have the answers right here in Nehemiah chapter 5. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Nehemiah chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Now there arose an outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brothers, for there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as, chil- as the children. 
Yet we're focusing, we're forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves and some of the daughters have already been enslaved. But it's not in our power to help out for other men have our fields and our vineyards. You see what he's saying there? He's saying that I'm in so much bondage when the Lord told me to help somebody out, I could not financially do it. We'll come back there in just a moment. Nehemiah said, verse six, I was very angry when I heard that outcry and and these words, I took counsel for myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother and I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we as far as we are able have bought back our Jewish brothers and we've sold, that have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent. They couldn't find a word to say. So I said, the thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations of our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest, return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards and their houses and the percentage of money, grain, wine and oil that you've been extracting from them. Then they said, we will restore this and and require nothing from them. We will do it as you say. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, Lord, I know that there's so many of us here today and uh, many here today are in financial bondage. And Father, I pray that today they will realize the, the, the freedom that is found in you and in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I want to, there's two main points to the message today. First of all, we see the problem. There's a problem. In Nehemiah chapter 5, the verses we just read, there's two types of financial issues that are going on. Number one, there's those that are being held captive to their money. You're a slave to money. Have you ever heard it said that you will either own your money or your money will own you? Well, these people in Nehemiah chapter 5, the first several verses were being owned by their money. They, 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 They didn't own their money, their money owned them. And as we've already said, there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that deal with finances, that deal specifically to this subject. And so we see here a conflict arose over the financial resources. Right here in these 13 verses that we just read, we, we discover people who were in financial bondage. As a result, as a result, verse 1 tells us that there was a division among the people. They were building, they were building the wall, and then all of a sudden a division, a crisis over man, money management came in. There is the problem. And this problem could have forced the tearing down of the wall, a, a failure to complete the wall. Then there was a shortage of, of human need, high prices we discovered in verse two. In verse three, we meet these individuals of Israel who were mortgaged up to their ears. This is beginning to sound familiar to anyone this morning. In verse four, we discover that there was a problem of debt. They were borrowing money just to get by, even borrowing money just in order to pay their taxes. And with this word of caution to all of us about excessive borrowing and indebtedness, we we need to listen. You see, the Bible has a very clear word about conflict of money, of your money owning you. The Bible never condemns having money, but the Bible condemns over and over and over again when your money has you. When you extend yourself and you commit yourself and even begin to borrow. The Bible, in my uh, estimation, doesn't prohibit borrowing. But the Bible does say that if we owe something, you're to pay it. In Psalm 37, verse 21, the scripture says, The wicked borrow and do not repay. The righteous will show mercy and give. 
The people that are in the verses that we just read, Nehemiah chapter five, they were in bondage, they were in debt. And as a result, in verse five, we discover that they were totally in, 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 enslaved to this bondage. They were a slave to their money. They were a slave to their debt. They were mortgaging the future of their children due to their financial condition. They said, this is their words. We're selling our children into slavery because we're in so much debt. And there's some people here today, there's some people who are here right now, some people who are watching online right now. And you say, that sounds like me. That's my story. Child of God, listen very carefully. Bondage is not God's will for his children. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you what? Free. You see, God's answer is freedom, not bondage. God's desire for his children is to walk in freedom, to walk in unity, to, 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 to walk in liberty, not to walk in bondage. God has delivered his people out of bondage. Satan is the one who wants to keep you in bondage. And sometimes he uses our finances. He, he puts us into financial bondage so that we cannot be free to serve the Lord God. Remember when we stopped here. God was telling these people that I want you to give this land. I want you to give this money in order for the wall to be built. And the people said, we don't have any money to give. We're so far in debt. We, we're sinking in our debt. We have to borrow money just to pay our taxes. God, I know that you're telling me to give this, but I can't give this. We don't have it to give. What a shame. Because you see, if that's your statement, if that's your testimony, you're missing out on a blessing of God. Think about this. I know for some of us here, we cannot imagine if God were to tell you to get tonight, this afternoon, a, a, a group of us are going down to the Orlando Rescue Mission to be able to serve the homeless. We're serving people who cannot serve us. We're giving to people who cannot give back. We went to the Orlando Rescue Mission. We said, how much does it cost to, to feed all the homeless that you feed in a meal? How, how much does it cost? They, they told us the amount, and we said, all right, we're going to write a check. We're going to go down. We bought, the, we bought the food, and we're going to go serve the food. Now, if God were to tell you, listen, if God were to tell you, I want you to write a check for $500. I want you to write a check for $2,500. I want you to write a check for $5,000. Some of you are going, mm -hmm can't do it. And the reason why you can't do it is because you're in such financial bondage, you are not able to do what the Lord has commanded you to do. And so if the Lord comes and says, I want you to write a check so you can, you can give to the homeless so the homeless can eat, you say, well, I, I can't, God. I'm in financial, this is what they're saying. This is what they're saying. Don't get mad at the, the I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. If you get mad, you've got to get mad at God, and that's not going to work out real well for you. I'm just telling you the story. When God comes and God says, I want you to be able to give, and if you don't have it to give, listen to me, friend, you are missing out on your blessing. Blessed. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And if you don't have it to give, if you're in bondage, if you're in bondage and you cannot give. You see, when I talk about money in church, when you start talking about money, period, people are struggling with this issue. People who are in and under the pressure, it's like you're in a pressure cooker. 
some of you right now are frustrated and irritated with me because I'm even broaching the subject right now. You're upset and you're thinking, I cannot believe that he's talking about this. Uh, he doesn't understand my situation. He doesn't understand all that has happened to me. Listen to me very carefully. Listen to me. I understand that situations happen in life. I, I get that. And I'm not talking about economics here. I'm not talking about maybe you made a bad investment. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm simply talking about, I'm asking you a question. Are you a captive? It's a simple yes or no answer. Are you a slave to debt? Are you a slave to money? If you are, if you are, there's hope. You can get out from underneath this. I know that you feel like you're sinking. I know that you feel like all of this is gone and we're going to get to the solution in just a moment, but we need to establish the fact that there is a problem, a real problem in the church of Jesus Christ and a lot of it has to deal with money. Problem number one, these people and a lot of us are captive to money. We're a slave to our debt. Number two, the second problem is not captive and being held captive, but it's coveting. It's coveting money. It's when money is your God. It's when you, you see in the text here, it, we, we see the haves and the have-nots. We just dealt with the have-nots. But then we see the haves, the people who have money, the people, the, and these people who had money, they, 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 they were making money their God. They weren't a slave to money but money was their God. They were using their money to manipulate the poor. They were extract, they, they, they were taking exorbitant amount of interest from the people and they were borrowing, people were borrowing just to get by. These men had a problem too. Not the problem of need, but they had a problem of greed. That's great bondage. You see, money is a, money is a wonderful servant, but money is a terrible master. Money's a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. Here, here were men mastered by the money, by their greeds, by their covetousness. This is why Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, beware of covetousness for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things. Hello. There was a rich man who came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, he said, what, what must a man do to be saved? And Jesus looked at this rich man and he said, you have to give everything you own to the poor. Now, listen, when you read this, you say, well, does that mean that I, I, I can buy my way into heaven? That's not what Jesus was saying, right? What was Jesus saying? Jesus looked at this man's heart and he said, listen, I understand that your whole world, your whole mind, your, everything about you is revolved around money and you cannot serve two gods. Jesus said, our God, my father is a jealous God and he does not have any room for you to be able to worship another God. It's either God or mammon as the old King James says. You either worship God or money. And this rich young ruler the scripture says he walked away because he had a lot. You see, so many people are caught up and, and money has become their God. Money has mastered them. We see the same problem today. These are the problems. These are the two problems that I see right here in Nehemiah chapter five. People that are held captive to money and people who covet money. Now what's the solution? There are six principles. And I wanna hit them very quickly. Number one, you have to confront your problem. 
again, we're talking, I'm not talking about an economics. I'm not telling you how to invest your money, but I am telling you that if you have a spiritual problem with money, if you covet or you are held captive to money, it's a spiritual problem. The only answer is a spiritual solution. And this is the spiritual solution. These six steps found right here in Nehemiah 5. How practical is God's word? Number one, confront your problem. Nehemiah said in verse six, he said, I was very angry. He got ticked off. He got upset, he got mad, he, 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 he began to confront the problem. He, he didn't just sit around and say, well, you know, this problem is just going to fix itself. All we need to do is earn more money. We just need to win the lottery. My God is a God who owns a cattle on a thousand. He didn't say that. He confronted the problem. He got in the game. If you're in bondage to money or money is your God, you need to begin by confronting the problem. It's step one of a multi-step process. Admit you got a problem. You got it? Step two, commit to change. See how practical that is? Verse 12 and 13, we just read it. These people realized they had a problem, so they committed to change. They put safeguards around them. They went to the priest and they dedicated the priest. They said, look, we're, we're getting our hands off of this. Here's our finances. We, we realize that we have served God or we serve money. Money has become our God. So we're giving this to you. We're taking our hands off and we're going to let you, we're going to let you manage this. They committed to change. They, they didn't just say it, but they, they went another step. They put safeguards in their life. Friend, if you are so upside down in debt that you are a, or you're a slave to money, you need to tackle that problem head on. Zig Ziglar, a, a, a friend of mine who's now in heaven with Jesus walking down the streets of gold, he used to say, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard Zig say this. He said, if your outgo exceeds your income, then your upkeep will be your downfall. And that's so practical. It's so good. If your upkeep, if your, if your income or your outgo exceeds your income, if you're spending more than you're getting, then what you're trying to hold on is going to what, knock you down. Develop a budget. Simple as that, develop a budget, live by the budget. You don't have to go out and eat all the time. Seek help from the church. If you recognize these two problems as we've mentioned as a spiritual problem, Understand that, that Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. At the end of the service, at the end of the service, if you're wanting spiritual help, we offer ministries. We have crown ministry. We, we have financial peace. We're putting together our, our own curriculum to be able to help, taking scripture out and, and giving you scripture principles. At this table right down here is called Aloma Cares. If you are having financial problems, whether that means that you are a slave to debt or whether that means you've got so much money that money has become your God and you need help, you need to get out of this, come and sign up at this table and just put a little money sign by. We'll know what that means. We'll give you a call and we will we'll help you. You see, you're not on an island by yourself. Satan wants you to think that, that all you are, you're sinking, sinking, sinking. All the collectors are coming. Everybody's against you. Nobody knows knows what you're experiencing, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. What we see here in Nehemiah, Nehemiah got the people together. He said, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. Now, it's not okay what you're doing. We need to get this resolved. You need to commit to change. 
to continue to do what you're doing and think you're going to get a different result is the basic definition of insanity. So we have to change, but we understand that our change must come from the Holy Spirit of God. Number three, conduct yourself wisely. Look at verse 14. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? He, all right, Nehemiah said that, that, okay, I'm governor and I got this allowance, but I didn't use it. What does that mean? You know what it means? Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Just because you can, just because you may have money or just because you've got a, a piece of plastic that can run through a machine, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Conduct yourself wisely. Nehemiah refused to profit from his position as governor of Judah. He's now governor of Judah, appointed by King Artaxerxes the Persians. He's in control, he's in charge, but he refused to take money and provisions for his service. He laid aside his personal rights to put God first. He said, I fear the Lord. You see, money, money, become, money can become an idol. And when money becomes your idol, it will devour you. Number four, the fourth practical thing we see from here, cherish integrity. Cherish integrity. Look at verse 16. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. What does that mean? It means he worked. And by the way, a lot, of, a lot of people don't have opportunities. A lot of people are stuck in financial bondage because they see that their way out comes dressed in overalls and it looks a whole lot like work. And people would rather not work. They would rather stay in bondage. Listen, this is what he's saying. If the principle is found in scripture over and over and over, if you don't work, you don't eat. Now, there's a difference between I can't work, right? We take care of those who can't help themselves. I get that. But the principle here, if you don't work, you don't eat. Proverbs chapter 6, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and, and want like an armed man. Nehemiah challenged these people to get to work. Integrity. Now I get it if you can't work, I get it. You need help, I get it. But if you can work, get in the game. That's integrity. Work. Now, for those who are struggling and you've got resources, you have to maintain integrity too. Maintain integrity in business deals with employees, industry with integrity. Verse 16, he said, we didn't buy any land. Why does he say that? Why does he say right there in verse 16? Look at it, it's right in your Bible. You know what he means? Nehemiah says, I could have bought this land for cheap. I could have exploited these people. I could have taken advantage of others. I could have profited personally from this, but he was completely honest. He had the highest integrity. And when you have integrity in business, God will bless that. 
Now, I understand that in the business world, people succeed all the time and they have no integrity at all. But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, yet he loses his own soul? Work with integrity. Number five, choose to be a giver. Verses 17 and 18. He says, moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officers, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all of this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Do you see what's happening? He learned the principle, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. He's generous. He had 150 guests for 12 years and they ate great. 150 guests came to his house and they had a dinner for 12 years and they weren't eating spam and beans, right? He gives us the menu. It looks pretty good, right? I don't know. What does the ox taste like? I don't know. Birds, really? They ate well, though. He became a channel of blessing and he was using it out of his own resources. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. You say, well, if I have more money then I would be able to give more, look. It's not about how much we make that determines what kind of a giver we are. The emphasis in the Bible is never on what we have, but what we give. If you miss everything that I said today, don't miss this. Worth is not determined by your wealth, but by your worship. If you wanna know what a man is worth, don't ask that man, how much do you make? Ask that man, what do you give? That's the real measurement. Unfortunately, recent statistics in the church tell us that the average church member only gives two and a half percent of their income to the work of Christ. This same article said that if we level the playing field and we put everybody in the church on an equal playing field, if everybody makes minimum wage, if we all draw a welfare check and we all tithe off of that welfare check, the receipts of the church would double. Hello. <laughs> I'm convinced that people wanna give to the Lord. There's a desire to give. But some of us are so in bondage, we don't know how to get out of it, listen. There is a proportionate programmed plan to giving. Start where you are. The apostle Paul said that it was on the first day of the week that each man comes in as his plan and, and each man has prospered. Let him bring the offering to the Lord. You say, well, what do I give? Well, God's design is the tithe. The tithe is not a tithe, it's the tithe. It's not a tenth, it's the tenth. It's not any part, but it's the best. Cain and Abel, we, we get this from them. Cain brought a, 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 just a portion of what he had. It wasn't his best. And God rejected that. Abel brought the best. He brought the best lamb and God accepted that sacrifice. It's the first, it's the best. It's the top 10th. When you put God first in your life, God will bless that. Finally, call on the Lord. Verse 19, if it's a spiritual issue, you have to have a spiritual response. Verse 19, he said, I feared the Lord. He didn't fear his finances. He didn't fear the IRS. He didn't fear his creditors. He feared God. When we begin to fear God, that's the step in the right direction. You see, if, 
if we needed, if our greatest need was information, then God could have sent an educator and we've been fine. If our greatest need was technology, then God could have sent a scientist and we would have been okay. If our greatest need was money, he could have sent an economist. If our, if our greatest need was politics, God forbid, he would have sent a politician. But our greatest need, our greatest need was forgiveness so God sent a savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, spiritual, that we may have eternal life, not so that we can be greedy getters, but that we can be gracious givers.